Yes, that means it's time for us to talk to Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun on this Friday morning. Good morning, Vaughn. And good morning, Simi. All right, let's talk about, we've been discussing this all week, but how the government's negotiations are going with the different unions, in particular the B.C. Government Workers Union. Yeah, we knew this was going to be a tough year for the B.C. government in wage talks with public service unions because of inflation. But I don't know as though we knew it was going to go sideways this quickly. So last week, the union advised its members, and there are 30,000 workers in central government, advised them that there was a massive chasm between the union's expectations and the government's initial offer, and the union told its members that they had uh, suspended the talks or put them on hold briefly and asked the government negotiators to go back and come back with a better offer. Well, this week, the advisory to the members is, it doesn't sound like the government came back with a better offer. Um, the union is advising its members that um, talks are stalled. And then the directive to members says, um, you might want to make sure your information, your contact information with us is up to date because we might need to get in touch with you for example, if we call a strike vote. So huh. it's early in the talks. It's six weeks. This is the first major negotiation, although all public sector unions are going to be going through this this year. This is early. Um, and sure, the union is wanting to let its members its know that they're standing up for them. But at the same time, uh, talk of a strike vote this early, that is not encouraging. Right. Both sides here have a lot invested in having something to prove with this, right? As you said, the, yeah. the union is the first up among many to cut a deal for this round with the government, and the government wants to set a precedent for yeah. all the other negotiations to come. That's quite true. And when the New Democrats came into power in 2017, they were looking at a similar situation, contracts that were expiring and they wanted settlements. But the difference then is that they were a minority government, we didn't have inflation, and I think the unions were willing to give cut some slack for the government. The BCGEU was the first union to settle with the government then. They settled before, well before the contract expired. And Simi, as you say, it did set the tone for all the other settlements. The union settled for 2%, 2%, 2%. So in each year, over three years, and that became the, the basically the standard for all public sector settlements. All those contracts, which were signed way back when the NDP was a minority government, those contracts are the ones that are expiring this year. And I think, you know, when we've seen it already, this is going to be a tough round of negotiations. The union expectations, yeah. well, you know, again, the government, again, the, the government's not saying anything, and the union is not disclosing the government's initial offer, but we can guess at it. When they increased the minimum wage, which is indexed to inflation, the labor minister, Harry Baines, said it's based on the inflation rate last year in BC, average 2.8%. Well, you know, because it's been in the news this week, uh, Stats Canada is now saying the inflation rate in the country is 5.7%. Well, a union that's trying to protect its members, it's going to laugh at 2.8%. That's not going to that's going to be a complete non-starter in this era. And it's been so many years, decades, since inflation has been a factor in bargaining that, you know, it, the government is climbing a pretty steep learning curve here. 
Right. Okay. So we'll be watching that closely. Uh, let's talk more about housing here as well, because David Eby has been making the rounds again. We were speaking with him yesterday on the show too, and we're still waiting to find out when that hammer is going to come down on municipalities about providing supply. Yeah, uh, this is an interesting one because of the source, partly of the criticism of the government's ambitious housing plan. So the New Democrats promised 114,000 units of social housing over 10 years, and they promised that in 2018. Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives came out with a briefing note, Mark Lee, saying the government is running behind on that schedule. Uh, In the first three years, only 10% of the 10-year target met. And uh, again, pointing out that a lot of the units that the government is claiming have been initiated. In some cases, they're not even under construction. In some cases, they are under construction, but a long way from completion. So... Ibi got asked about that yesterday, you know, and it's interesting because the New Democrats, when they get asked about missing this target, ah, that's the liberals. So you can't believe a word they say. But the CCPA is, first of all, reliable, and second of all, generally sympathetic to the government's objectives on this. And so E.B. said, well, I wish they'd given us more credit for what we've done for homelessness and all that. But he kind of agreed that it's fair comment that they're running behind schedule on the ambitious housing Hmm. plan. But then he said, but then he pointed the finger of blame. He said, a lot of our projects are still stuck in the pipeline with local government. Uh, Local government is dragging its feet on approvals, and as a result, the government hasn't been able to meet its targets. Now, it's interesting hearing this coming from David Eby because he's also pointed out that, Simi, a lot of these projects that are, this isn't, private developers trying to build more condos, right? Uh, this is, uh, some of these are government social housing projects. Some of them are nonprofits. And many of them meet the government's objectives of modern rental housing or mixed housing for the missing middle, as we talk about it, right. projects with childcare. This project out in Surrey that was stalled that was for uh, the disabled and you can hear in Eby's voice that he's running out of patience on this one. Right. He's giving clearly given a lot of notice to municipalities, yeah. right? It's almost like he's telling them, like, hey, do this or else, do this or that's, else. That's exactly right. And he's also indicated the timetable. Look, it's civic election year. Civic election day is in October. EB is saying, yeah, we're working with local government. We praise local councils that are approving the projects we want, that are expediting approvals and all that. But he's also saying that the ministry, his ministry housing, the government is drafting legislation that would allow central government to override or expedite approvals of projects at the local level. Right. We won't see that legislation until after the civic election is over. EB does not want to make this an issue in civic elections. I would think, Vaughn, that some municipal governments and politicians might be relieved by this to know that they can now say, hey, it's out of our hands. It's not our fault. The province did this. That's right. We don't have to hold a public hearing on this anymore. Exactly. Because this project already fits our municipal plan. We don't have to keep dragging our feet because you don't like your view being interrupted or you don't like the fact that there isn't enough parking. 
we're going ahead because this is needed in your community. I, I think you're absolutely right. I think you'll hear local government leaders squawking about it, and some right. of them have, losing local autonomy. You won't control what goes on in your neighborhood. But I think you're right. And the, the historical example that I point to is agricultural land protection under the NDP government of the yes. 1970s. Local, a lot of local grumbling about the fact that no longer could you just take agricultural land and develop it. But over time, municipal governments were happy that they didn't have to deal with that issue anymore because there was an independent commission dealing with it. I think you're right, Simi. I think local government, if it comes to this legislation, and I do think it's in the works, and I do think it's coming this fall, I think in the long run, local councils will be happy that they can say, hey, talk to Victoria because this has got to go ahead. And look, I think the public... Yeah, I, I, I know because I live in a neighborhood where I would not be happy with some of this is happening, but I do think the public is going to recognize that EB is right, that a lot more housing of the right kind needs to be added to the housing supply if we're going to do anything about providing affordable housing for the missing middle. Right, and this is convenient. So municipalities can say, not our fault, province made us do it. And the provincial government can say, listen, we had to, we have to provide more housing. So it gives them both an excuse. Yeah, I think you're right. And, And it's, you know, there'll be a lot of things we're going to look at when we actually come to how is this going to be done. Uh, and one of the things we'll be looking at is, are we getting the right kind of housing? I mean, if we're not getting the, the two- and three-bedroom places, the, uh, the, the social housing, the housing for the needy and all of that, uh, the greater density in neighborhoods that maybe don't want density, then I think it will be reve- seen as, you know, not very successful. This is a high-risk venture. But the one thing I will say, having covered David Eby in politics for some time, mm-hmm. I haven't run across very many politicians that are more determined than David Eby True. <laughs> and more willing to go out there and take the heat if necessary yep. to get what he wants. So that, this is going to be interesting. That is very true. Avon, thank you. Bye-bye, Simi.